Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Nordics podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the Nordics region to discuss industry passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Josh Askley, and I help businesses to connect with top tech freelance talent. Today, I'm your host. Hi, everyone. This is Chris Bennett here, the Nordics Managing Director here at Evolution. We're committed to doing recruitment in a different way that adds value to both our clients and candidates by providing you with amazing speakers and leading edge discussions on what's going on in the tech scene at the moment. There are three reasons why you should contact me. If you would like to speak on a future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech data product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organization to work with, please get in touch. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. Before we delve deeper into this topic, I just want to work our way around the room and get some introductions. So, Noah, do you want to kick us off? Just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. Um, thank you for, for having me in this podcast. Uh, it's really a privilege to be between uh, all of you. We will learn a lot of things. Um, so... My name is Noah Goma. I uh, started basically in this career uh, like seven plus years ago. Um, I started as a business analyst and uh, I grew to be like a head of data right now in, uh, in Nevermind and hopefully to grow more. Perfect. Thank you very much. And next we've got Dennis. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Dennis. I work in H&M. Um, I lead a team called Customer Journey Analytics and Targeting. And I am representing the customer domain in the company, and I try to make the company be more customer-centric and make sure that we take decisions from a customer-centric point of view, not only a P&L point of view. So that's what I do. Um, I have a business background, but then I moved on to the data side. Like I have an engineering background, but you know, it's engineering to business to data. So. Um, that kind of uh, a bit career changer slash using different things to do what I do today. Uh, happy to be among um, great people. Perfect. Thank you so much. Matthias, tell us about yourself. Hi, everyone. It's super nice to be here and talk to all of you. Uh, I, I am Matthias. I studied uh, computer science, uh, applied economics, and then I went on to study data science and entrepreneurship. Then I joined a company here in Sweden, a consulting company. That's where I got introduced to Google Cloud. Uh, it was called Avalon Solutions. Then the company was bought and then I left the company. I did some freelancing. I worked for some companies, mostly in the financial sector. And then I recently rejoined the company that I started out with. Now they're called Devo Team. We're Google Cloud consultants. And I'm leading the data team, so I'm currently head of data. I mostly work with data platforms, building out data platforms, data projects, data analytics, and data science, uh, utilizing Google Clouds. I'm really looking forward to the discussion today. We have some really good questions. Amazing. Thank you. And Anuj, tell us about yourself. Hey, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Anuj, and I have like roughly eight plus years of experience into risk and underwriting basically working in the fintechs and I currently look after basically how to reduce the losses and how to use the data so that we can approve everyone we get uh, in our company and I work in Klarna. So 
Yep. Perfect. Thank you so much. Well, now that we've got a bit of a context as to everybody in the room, let's move on to a more focused topic. Uh, everybody has brought their own subtopic or their own question or statement. So as usual, I'll work my way around the room. I'll pose the question and each of you will then have the opportunity to give your take on the situation. So the first question that we have was asked by Dennis and the question is, how to effectively present insights to decision makers to balance short and long-term business needs. Noah, what are your thoughts? Yeah, like to, from my point of view, is, is, is communication is the key in, in, in this kind of situation. So you you make it clear uh, that what is the short-term goal and what is the long-term as well. So you you present the data in, in a very like insightful uh, way to make it powerful for, for the decision makers and also like have another like when, why why consultants always go and and like do more than than like people that work in within the company because we have like kind of like a framework we know what exactly like the 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 stakeholders want when when it comes to the management team and also what the team needs so you go you have a really clear goal and then any anything that between that is 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 is, is kind of like a day-to-day -day ad hoc analysis it's not the 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 data that will you will make decision based on so you have to have like a clear understanding of like of telling and educating people what is the short-term action and what is the long-term goals in, in in this kind of question perfect thank you very much uh matthias what are your thoughts yeah i find this question very interesting i read the book uh the title is the tiger that listened and i think they bring up uh, an interesting case where they mention a road section and at one point in a couple months there were a lot of accidents in that section and they put out a, a sign or something that measured the, the speed of cars and just encouraged people to slow down and uh, fair enough the number of accidents reduced very quickly and the conclusion is that you the, or the problem is that you don't know whether your solution worked or if it was just, you know, by chance, there were a couple accidents in one month, and then it would have reduced even if you don't put out any sign or any any measurements. So I think it's very interesting to to think about also the effect of your actions when you uh, make decisions based on on your data and your insights. To 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 also understand that there was a, a long lasting effect, or is it just a, a once? once a while, you know, random occurrence. Uh, so you have to make sure that you, you get uh, patterns that are lasting and then you present this to, to decision makers in a way that they understand, you know, this can be just a random accident or this can be something that there is a, there is a pattern. And on, on how, to, how to do it, I think it's, it's interesting to, to ask the decision makers what they prefer if they like to have a dashboard that they can open up anytime or if they want these insights to be sent to them every morning so that they can read through your your insights in a in an email while they're drinking their coffee i think everyone has their own uh, working style and i for example get a lot of automatic emails from tools and i don't really open them so for me it's it's you know a dashboard that i would prefer but I also know people who like to read their newsletter, so to say, every every morning. So I, I agree with, with Noah that 
communication is key. And um, I, I just wanted to add also finding the, the right things to report on is, uh, is a big challenge. Perfect. Thank you so much. Anuj, uh, where do you stand on this? Ah, basically, uh, I'll start with my experience first on these things. Uh, basically, I've worked in a lot of startups and they're like, there are three parts to it. One is like you have a vision, which is the senior management. And then when you treat this to managers, it's a mission. And to the final, to the analyst, it's, it's kind of a initiatives, right? So now these two, three parts are like being separated into long, uh, uh, basically a long-term and the short-term solutions, basically, right? So now if I just think about the vision, right? That the vision can be, okay, we need to increase the sales by 10x, right? And that's a proper communication. Okay, we need to do this by this year, right? But then the things being added into that, how we have to do that? It's by... Uh, getting more merchants, getting more customers, offering them what is the key need, or we don't want sales, but we want profitability also, so we need to reduce the cost and so on, right? Now, at the manager levels, it's become a vision now that we have to reach that vision, right? And it's uh, and it's obviously the key is the communication over there that how the senior people uh, uh, communicate it to the uh, managers. Once it reaches managers, and if suppose I am one of them and I got, okay, I need to increase my sales by 10x for this quarter, not for the complete year. But then I have to take into consideration how can we do it in the short term because it's a short term for me right now. But from a over term, overall long term, it is again a vision for them. So the two parts is like then my communication to the team and communication back to the, the visionaries to that this is one of the initiative which will lead 25%. Now the next initiative will be picked afterwards. So that's the second part to this. So one is communication. Second is how you align better with the visionaries. And third, how you... Uh, a better divide or bifurcate into the quality or quantity initiate. initiate. So that's my take on that. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Now, Dennis, what are your thoughts on this question? So you asked the question, what are your thoughts? Give us a, and also give us a bit of perspective about why the question was asked. Yeah, uh, sure. And, uh, and I think those were all really uh, good answers. Um, the, re the reason that I asked this question is sometimes it's challenging to actually tell this story around the data that you're presenting. And people may, you, you know, you may present it with one idea and then the, your stakeholders may get a completely different uh, understanding from what you're actually presenting, right? So um, the reason that I ask this is, especially like with what you're presenting, there is a time element in everything that happens in business. Um, going back to what was discussed as well, like some things, you get the results in a week, some other things happen in a month, three months, six months, in a year, in several years in some cases. Changing the behavior of your customers take a lot of time and a lot of repetition and a lot of effort. So um, I, I think th this was the context behind the, the question that I asked. The, um, the, the reads and the answer to this is like what we are trying to do is whenever we present something, we try to be clear with like this is happening in the short term. And this is what we expect uh, in this time period versus like what we expect to happen in a longer term. If you are talking about like the example of like you give a discount and then, okay, that increase the sales in the next week. But then is that a sticky thing? Or if that is just one thing that happened in a weekend, everything comes back to normal or you lose your future sales because of that like discount period. So the, the messaging of how you, uh, I think, talk about this is really important. And finally, on Matthias's point, 
uh, the like if that happened because of your uh, you know sign on the um, corner or is it because it was going to happen anyway? We always talk about testing, testing, and testing. That is kind of like a mantra for us, and we have this kind of like a thing that we want to educate our stakeholders that the only way to sometimes understand if this is happening because of you know the thing that you have done is testing it by testing it a proper uh, ab tests like with a control group you can say actually like the people who haven't uh, been exposed to that solution or whatever you're implementing they behave this way while the others behave that way um so um, that's um maybe short answer to my own question but it's very, uh, it's very challenging regardless perfect thank you very much i think matthias uh, matthias did you have something to say uh, yeah i think uh dennis you raise a, a great point in that you sometimes draw one conclusion and uh, someone else looks at your your anal- analysis or your insight and uh, maybe sees something else or doesn't necessarily understand what you were trying to do and i for this reason i i always also try to be very objective and just present facts and and data instead of conclusions or you know outright decisions from the data in the in, in the visualization it should say uh, you know this is the exact number and not say yes we achieved the goal or no we didn't you know i i think that then it's maybe it's more effective or, or they can the decision makers can draw their own conclusions and make their own decisions and we're not influencing them as a data analysts. We're just presenting the facts. Amazing. Thank you. And Noah, you had something to say as well? Yeah. And here is the thing about like the like the stakeholder or the the people using the data to understand something different because we're usually really good at jumping into creating dashboards and, and, and building data and makes things nice, but we we, we miss the documentation part. And, uh, and that's what, why people make fun of us, uh, consultants, because we always go and, and do like, okay, we have this documentation, we have like to follow every step, even if you change like a, like a kind of one kind of filter design, we write it down, we write what we, what we, what we mean about it. And, and that's the, 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 the importance of documentation. And I think if, if any of the stakeholder just know or like see the comments the dashboard you will understand and you have to make it simplified for for them as well i i think we're running out of time <laughs> good perfect thank you so much uh thanks everybody that one was really interesting now the next question that we've got was presented to us by noah and it's how can effective data teams change the effectiveness of data and analytics in companies matthias what are your thoughts there um yes yeah, so i think it's always an interesting question whether you should have uh, sort of cross-functional teams or do you have one data analytics team that does all the the analytics and then the same goes for the data engineering team as well. If you have one data engineering team that builds a central platform or if you want to have cross-functional teams and every team will have someone with a data engineer, data analyst background to build their own solutions or, or help with their own needs. And I I have seen both. I think most companies that I have seen have cross-functional teams when it comes to data analytics. So they would have uh, someone who can use the data analytic in in or 
the data and, and do some analytics in almost every team and then have a centralized uh, data engineering team that provides the data platform. And for that, uh, we, we did something similar at Lunar as well. We had a centralized data team that was building the data platform and then the data engineers were th sitting in this uh, most more or less cross-functional team. And I think that worked really well to, to try to build one platform that everyone can use and to have the data data engineers um, help out the, the data analyst. And what we did is we also had the engineering platform team that was dealing with the Kubernetes clusters and, and helping developers. And these two teams, the data engineering team and the, the, the engineering platform team, they sit very close and have regular meetings and follow-ups with each other because there's a lot of knowledge, if not like deep technical knowledge on how to do things, but more soft skill related knowledge that can be shared between these teams. Like how do you uh, follow up on requests, feature requests? How do you make sure that you don't become the bottleneck? What kind of processes do you have? And we, we learned a lot from them. So kind of taking these engineering platform uh, ideas and implementing it into your data engineer team and treating your data platform as an engineering platform uh, or as a even as a product that you might sell to other companies even though your users are internal you can think of them as, as customers and being customer centric or customer focused internally they helps a lot brilliant thank you so much and uh, I basically, uh, so uh, I totally agree with you, Matthias. Like, uh, it depends on the organization to organization how they look after uh, these kind of things. Uh, there's a data engineering team and might be data engineering team for each domain separately. But in some like smaller companies, there was a one data engineering team, uh, which was a single engineering team, which handles the complete company's data, right? And then uh, working on the effectiveness with the other teams, team members or other domains, basically is that how we can get the better data. And that better data, it means how we can get the better data quality. No noise, get a, 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 like a basically flat tables. Can we get a flat tables for a better decisioning? So the thing is like, it is always become a good communication if we start communicating with the data engineering team that we need the this data in this format and that can be used. And then secondly, the collaboration between different teams to get the insights directly from the data. So it's not just about getting the real data uh, to all the teams or all the uh, like to the complete company, but it is about if that data can be somehow given in a format which gives the insights directly, not the dashboards. So that's what I think we have to move towards, like effectiveness to use that data. So that's my take on this. Perfect. Thank you. And Dennis, what's your take on this? Yeah, I, I think those are uh, really good points from both Matthias and uh, Anush. And um, the, like, the decentralized versus decentralized question is, I think, like a never-ending question. And it has pros and cons. And, you know, like you could argue both ways very strongly. Um, and I think, Anush, you did a really, uh, like you had a really good point there. It depends a lot on the size of the company and also like your use cases, right? And as we are, for example, a really large company in H&M, we, I mean, we have a hybrid approach to this, but we have a lot of um, cross-functional uh, teams who have their own uh, analysts, uh, who have their own data people. I don't want to only keep it with uh, analysts. 
Um, and I think that works really well for one reason, and that is domain expertise, uh, which is, um, you know, undervalued in most cases because they assume that, you know, we need a data guy over there. And then you send some data person to a team who has no idea of like what's that business is and what they're, they're trying to achieve. And it becomes like an almost impossible task. And, you know, you need both parts in, in our job. You need to understand the data really well. But you need to understand the business you are like trying to contribute to or analyze or you know engineer the data for like really well as well so so i think in that case i'm more for a you know a decentralized approach uh, but at the same time again uh, the, the the trick there is then it becomes okay but then how do we talk about things like data governance and how do we talk about you know a centralized way of working with data and how do we present insights and so on and so on. And then I think what helps with a little bit of a hybrid approach is having a center of excellence and saying in some cases, okay, this group of people act as a center of excellence. They maybe talk about things like how do we work with reporting tools? How do we work with insights and so on? How do we work with testing? And you uh, empower others to do their job in the best way and you have a standardized approach to how you actually approach the business questions as well. Um, yeah, brilliant. Thank you. And Noah, do you want to give us your take on this and as well a bit of context behind the question? Yeah, sure. I, I actually asked the question because right now, like the company want to be a, like a data-driven organizations and uh, with the buzzword AI and chat GPT and all this nice stuff, you, you talk with, with the with the company or organization, it's like, oh, I want to, I want to use AI in my company. And then you realize they don't even have like a Facebook pixels to, 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 to count their, why, why they actually paying for ads or what's, what is the ROI for, 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 for what they're paying for. So it, it, it is crazy. Like the basic stuff is, is not there. So, and also company want to hire data teams when they don't actually have any, any like like low data or they have like basically like they don't need like a data engineer there's there's a lot there's something called the das which is data as, as a service so you can have all those uh like uh, with one clicks drag and drop have your own data managed if you are a small a small company you don't need to have a data engineer a data analyst even data analyst there is a lot of like low uh low code or no code uh, platforms that you can build the dashboard from, which would dry and drop. So com companies need to understand, just don't follow the buzzword and be like a data-driven organization to gain age. Just know what you have, understand what you really need. And, and, and from that, from, from that point of view, then you take the step by step and before using AI or ML, it's so like, if you've done all the steps and you find out, okay, I achieved it this much uh, and I can't achieve more from, from the normal analysis, then you can use AI. But surprisingly enough that, enough that most of the company, even the big ones, they are not in this phase. Like a really big company, they are not in the phase that of using AI to, to manage their data or to make it work. So that's, that was my, my point of like how the data team like affect uh, the, the the company and why actually you most of the time that you need to you need to realize who you really want to 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 hire and is, don't follow buzzwords at uh, you as a manager don't say like oh i need a data team because they will help us do this and that understand what you actually need first 
and then go look for it. Yeah, that's that was my my reason behind the question. Now, perfect. Thank you very much, Matthias. You have um, something to say? Uh, yeah, I wanted to say that I think to Dennis's point, it's very interesting to to add this kind of view that you need domain knowledge to to be a good data analyst. I think that's very very important, and as he said, it's it's often overlooked. And that's where I would draw the line between a data engineer and the data analyst and say, okay, if you need any domain knowledge, then you probably should be in the maybe a cross-functional team as a data analyst. And then if you don't need any domain knowledge, so if you're building just a central data platform, you're dealing with how to ingest the data, how to make sure that you can follow all the regulations and privacy rules and, and set up all the guards guardrails and safety, then you're probably more a data engineer. And I think for that to be a data engineer, that can be a very central function because that lets you ensure the data quality and data reliability so that all the data engineers or the data analysts are looking at the same data and you can present facts. And when one data analyst comes to a conclusion about mentally active users, it's going to be the same as a different uh, data analysts if their definition of monthly active users agree. So, so yeah, I think that's a really good point with, uh, with the domain expertise. Amazing. Thank you. Uh, you're muted, Josh. Sorry. The the next question that we have, guys, is actually presented to us from uh, Anuj. And the question is how to use data analytics for real-time decision-making. Uh, Dennis, take it away. Yeah, um, and I think this is a tough one as well. Um, it is, you know, it's something that we talk about uh, all the time because, like, you know, that the, the the typical ways of working with data is you look at historical data and then you hope that that is relevant for what will happen next or you make a prediction by some kind of ML model or, you know, you try to enrich it with some other facts and so on and so on. Uh, but then in many cases, we know that that is not actually how people behave, right? People are very, um, you know, unpredictable in some cases, in some cases predictable, but in some cases very unpredictable and their needs change a lot during time. So like why I visit one site one time is very different from why I visit it the next time. So uh, one thing we talk about these days to kind of address this a little bit is using streaming analytics as well as part of, uh, you know, a solution that can be a piece in the whole puzzle as well. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, like they, like, let's, I don't know, give an example from a different business. Like if, if I go to Booking.com and then, you know, if Booking.com has an idea about what I normally do, they would maybe, you know, make the site personalized for me, for, depending on my historical behavior. But what they could actually do is also, based on what I do at that specific session, they could, you know, direct me to other places. Like, you know, the, the experience can change based on what I do at that moment. Uh, to be able to do that, you know, this is quite new. And, you know, it's the reason that this is quite new is because of the technical technological developments and so on and so on as well, without getting into details, that this is something that we are um, exploring at the moment. Like, how can we use this in the best way? Not only by itself, like, okay, Dennis is doing this at this moment. 
That's why let's show him this next. If I click on the homepage again, let's say from a source that I do on Booking.com, but instead, how can we use that and combine that and enrich that with the historical knowledge that we have and also like the models that we have in the company and paint the picture as a totality? Uh, it is quite new, um, at least in like what, what I do, uh, what in the company, I'm not, I cannot talk for the whole company, but uh, in our area at least. Um, so it is a bit of an exploration phase, but um yeah, we. I, I think there's a lot of potential there. Great, thank you very much. Uh, but yes, yeah. So for me, when I read this question, what I think of is a BI tool that can facilitate sort of ad hoc data exploration. So if I if I take the example of Looker, what you do is you define a semantic layer on top of your data, and then anyone with a business mindset without knowledge about how data works, can go and do sort of a click, uh, drag and drop uh, analysis on the data. So if you have any problem, the, 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 the reason why currently it's not very real-time decision-making what uh, some tools allow you to do is because you have a dashboard and it's very static. The, maybe the, the data that's presented is based on streaming data and it's very up-to-date. But that's just one piece of the puzzle that you want the most up-to-date data to be presented. It's also that, oh, this is the monthly active users, but wait, I want to look at the weekly active users instead. How do I do that change? And if your answer is that I have to contact the data analyst and they have to put it into their next sprint and then in the next sprint they release it after that and then I have to wait, you know, three weeks until that visualization appears on my dashboard, even if you have real-time data, you're not going to get real-time insights to make real-time decisions. You don't want to, to wait three weeks for the data analyst. So that's why if you utilize the right tool, for example, Looker, where you can define your uh, semantic layer, and then people from the business can go in and do their own insights without the help of someone with a deep technical uh, data analyst knowledge, then I think that that is a big piece of the puzzle for, for real-time decision-making. And of course, then you, you you might want to have some trainings on how to use that platform and, and make sure that everyone in the company understands and, and can use it. And these tools usually, for example, Looker provides you with tools to look at user patterns and behaviors like, okay, how are people actually doing their own explorations of my data? And then you can think about why, why not? And uh, yeah, make sure that you actually democratize the data in this way. I think that's uh, that's super exciting. Every time you see this data culture being built up at the company and just see it growing, it, it really delivers great insights and performance and, and increase in productivity. And yeah, I think that's great. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Noah? Yeah, we, we I actually have done uh, like a project before related to this, which is... Um, like let's say you are, you are a customer and you go to one of the telecommunication company in Sweden, you want to like buy a phone or a subscription, but then like you quit like in the middle of the, on, in uh, in your journey, like uh, in the funnel, and then you left the website, you, you probably will, will get an email later or like a, like a text or whatever, uh, that say like, oh, you left something in, in, in the cart, but what what we use it to do is basically like try to score you and give you like 
the probability of you actually buying online or are you like uh, like a service visitor or are you like a, a potential buyer so you have a threshold between let's say like from one to hundred and we say okay the probability of this person to buy online we will have a threshold between let's say 70 to 80 and because if you go after the 80 that then then you are cannibalizing from from your own uh, sales which that's and and in order to do this of course like you have you have an algorithm with when you write probabilities and, and prediction as well and you try to reach reach them like when they are on the site like you have like let's say like a, a call to action button or something to to try to interact with them but in order to do this you have you have to have like like streaming the data and automate the data pipelines to be like ready in real time and that that's that's really hard but it's achievable and it is it it, it maybe like it's it's kind of like also slow it's not really uh, like you know the top Thing right now, but I, I think that this thing is that will will be improved in 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 the future, and it it is really doable to be done. Brilliant, thank you very much. And Anuj, do you want to give your thoughts on this, and also gives a bit of context behind the question? Yeah, sure. Uh, this like this is one of the things which is going on right now because as I am working on the fintech industry, and this is one of the things is like how to decide everyone whether to give something to a person on like kind of a loan do any kind of a purchase right and we have to take a decision instantly like within seconds you can't like ask them to wait for like a mortgage loan that you have to wait for a one month and then can be decided because these are like a fast moving things and there are lots of competitors but then this comes up in my mind why as particularly like real-time decision making is that i was scrolling one of the e-com e-com websites and then i ordered something for my wife and after two days i started getting recommendation for my wife not for me right and which is like very weird right because the profile is mine everything is mine it's just that i ordered once on the birthday and i start getting those recommendations so i think using the real-time data here right will help them a lot or like any particular econ company or anyone basically to understand like okay this is a male not female this is the guy who can utilize uh, or uh, from last one year purchasing these things can we just not show particular for one time moment right and show the complete uh, the past history and take the past history into consideration. That's the one part. Second part comes in there. Uh, so one of the points which like need to uh, address, like which uh, Dennis has said, like AI and all prediction, uh, predictive, predicting models, is like yes, these are the most important ones right now. At least uh, if I talk about be it any industry, everyone is talking about the statistical algorithms, and no one is moving towards scorecards, which were like weighted scorecards in the past. But now everyone is moving towards models, looking after okay how we can predict things, how we can identify things, and be it like increasing the sales, be it increasing the uh, reducing the losses, increasing the profitability. Everyone is talking about the model. So that's what just the point is like: can we use that data? And today we store data from mobiles, from websites, from any social platforms, and there are so many companies who provide these as a services. So I think. These are the things, uh, 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 and the, keeping the, those things in mind, I have this question, and I think yeah, that's a problem, I think. Amazing. I think, Dennis, you had something to follow up with? Yeah, uh, I had two quick comments on what uh, Matthias said and uh, Anush said. Uh, to start with what Matthias is saying uh, about the semantic layer and the data availability uh, on to make people do real-time decisions, I think that was a really good point that the availability of data to, again, to the to decision makers and to, to the business side, that 
that has to be, you know, it is also an underappreciated part of all the whole equation. Uh, the challenge that I see there is that, you know, the data literacy, like going back to what we have discussed before, like I, I think part of doing the data availability, uh, like talking about the semantic layer, looker, Power BI, whatever you use, and making it like a drag and drop tool for uh, less data literate people or less technical people, right? That's amazing. But then we assume that they are understanding in the right way and that, they, or they are looking at it from the right perspective. And I think then to be able to do that, one thing that we need to do is educate people on how to actually look at it. What does it mean when they, you know, use different filters and so on and so on? Um, so that is one thing that I want to say that there's a job that we need to do as the more people sitting on the data side to kind of always educate the business on like, how do we actually look at this data? How do we utilize this to uh, take the right decisions by looking at the right things? Um, and, uh, going back on, uh, what Anuj, you said on, you know, that I bought something to my wife and then now I get recommendations all the time that, that is, the um, that is a very relevant comment and this is something that we are challenged as a company as well what one of the challenges there is that i think this is something that we know as e-commerce companies quite well but there's a thing called match rate that becomes really challenging when you use for example like paid media to you know target your customers because then you don't actually what i mean by that for people who don't know what that is is that what you have, the customer IDs that you have internally, they don't match with what, let's say, the information that Facebook has or Google has and so on. So it becomes a challenge of, you know, like connecting that information. Uh, so um, I wanted to mention that as well, that, that there, there's a hard job to do there as also. Awesome. And Matthias, you had something to say also? Yeah, exactly. So I think it's, uh, it's a fair point that you need a lot of training. And this is why we at Devil Team also provide training for non-technical people when it comes to using Looker. But I think the, the idea also with the semantic layer is that when you define it, you add descriptions to the different columns and metrics and, and fields that you can filter on. And you try to make it uh, foolproof or you try to make it so easy to, to understand that, you know, this is the monthly active users. That's it. That, that like, you know, there is no room for interpretation you want to you want to make sure that people can understand and use it just how you you give a uh, an iphone to a three-year-old and sh she or he will not ask questions you just unlock the phone so natural you know and and that's a lot of of course apple put a lot of time and effort into discovering what are the natural gestures for people to interact with technology and as data analysts or data engineers, we should strive for such data platforms and data tools that it's natural for the business users to to sort of use it and put in the, the safeguards so that they can't misuse it. But yes, training is a huge part and it's often overlooked that it's not just technical training, but you also have to train uh, the, the non-technical people on how to use it and, and what does it actually mean. Amazing, thank you. And lastly, we do have the question posed by Matthias. And the, the question or the statement is on data democratization versus privacy and protection on PII data. And the question around this is how do you balance the two? And urge what are your thoughts? This one, this, so this particular was one of my main projects in my previous organization. 
that how to democratize people and how to not provide the pi information to everyone in the company right and uh, we started with one thing like we have a crm team who don't know about the data or they just do calling to the customers and they are not aware about the data of anything but in sometimes they need to feed the data or the contact numbers into the system to call the customers directly and that's where the issue comes in that there's a pi information which we can't share directly with them and but we need to democratize them using that the data can be used by themselves so they should not come with come to like an engineer and then say okay you have to look uh, give us this data and put it into our system crm system so that we can start calling to the customers now that was one of the problems and for the data democratization we used one of the open source tool by creating a flat tables in the sql connecting sql directly with that uh, uh, open source tool and giving it to uh, uh, basically to the crm teams or uh, different domains but then the pi information comes in the main part i think from the pi what we have done was first is the access management things because uh, if company wants like basically all those things into high uh, that pi should not be shared and according to the gdpr rules and regulations and the legal conditions and the compliance things is one thing is the access management because that's where you can share the data you can filter the data whatever you want what you want to don't want to share and the other two parts is the encryption and the data masking and i think i i have an example for the data masking is like we have similar to like a pno in india and we then data we mask that complete number at the real time so it even didn't saved in the data sets so no one in the company can have that kind of uh, pno numbers in the company so it is obviously the more important part is the pii because it's under the gdpr regulations but moving towards data centralization and uh, data democratization that is again uh, uh, need to look into but keeping in mind the pii to be more important can't be shared with everyone perfect thank you noah yeah for me it's like the first thing that when it comes to to democratization is is educating the the users so you educate them about the, the data first and then as as uh, Anush said, the the VRA and like data like the the removal and and the data mask that's really important. So you you make sure that you anonymize everything. You you make sure that the the user can't actually access like or or the stakeholder in the company can can't access uh, personal uh, identifier information or BII because that's that's really important and in in a way in uh, especially in EU that. It does will be having like a legal action or like a either a fine or like a jail time sometimes. So th- there's there's some there's some company that like like a big fine because of the are uh, showing BII data and also like if if you have this kind of information being being saved, let's say you're using like Google Analytics or something. If Google Analytics themselves actually find out about this, they will also uh, like terminate your your account. So you like when it comes to to like the privacy and like make sure that even for yourself as as a as a data engineer or that that the analyst you don't need this data <laughs> you don't need to to have information for for your customer uh, like the BLA data like emails and stuff like this either you have like consent from 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 the customer to collect this data and you collect it on your on your own cloud on the server side uh, thing you don't you don't push it to to like Google Analytics or or, or another uh, another platform. That's your responsibility toward your 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 customers 
to keep this data safe in your own cloud. You control all the data. You mask it even before you send it to Google. Like for me, I'm I'm always like server side tracking. So you collect all the data first to your cloud and then send it to Google Analytics. In in that way, Google Analytics has you have the control over your data, not need Google Analytics or 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 like GTM or whatever. You have everything in your own like in your own uh company and then you are controlling what what to send where and and, and how and when it comes to to the other people like decision making makers people in in the company the they don't need to know this information all they need to know like what 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 kind of of uh, uh what's called like the customer do are we dealing with so like uh, are we are we having like what what is our target audience basically which is that's the, that's the important thing for every department who i'm showing this to either like you are a ux designer or whatever you don't need who like yes we have a b test you have who interact with this and that but you don't need to know his name and his phone number and all this stuff it's, it's unnecessary so for for me is this is kind of like yeah it is it is important you need to educate people but you as uh as as a as a data engineer or like a like a data team, you need to make sure this data is not even accessible unless you have a consent from from a customer. Great, thank you so much, and Dennis. Yeah, um, I want to start with what Noah mentioned, and that, that I think that is the key. I I, I definitely like hundred percent agree that for ninety nine point nine percent of the cases, you do not need the PI data at least, but like from what I work in, maybe I'm, you know, missing something, but, you know, like there, there is always like, you don't need to know that, that, that is Noah or, you know, Josh or like Matthias, you could actually just understand that there is a person with, with that belongs to this segment or this customer group that acts in this way. And that is already enough. And even, even in that case, most of the actions that we take are not taken on an individual level. It is taken on a group level. So what you want to do is most of the cases aggregate the data before you take it, like take an action with it. So I, I think that becomes like, you know, um, you know, you, you can always provide that data and democratize it as much uh, as possible without actually getting into the PII at all in that way. Um, the, and like to, to be able to do that, I think that shouldn't be you know expected to be common sense for people to work that way so that that is another part in it so we can say that yeah this is like we, we know that we don't want to use it on an individual basis that's why let's go ahead and expect everyone to do the right thing so that should come from a centralized person team whoever like depending on the size of the company of course we have a data privacy office who actually mandates those things to how to work with data and then we have rules and guardrails around like you know what can you access and what can't you access as an engineer analyst scientist whatever your uh, title is um and then there are only a limited number of people so you limited as much as possible uh, the people who have access to pii data but then you open in the, uh, open it up as much as possible for the rest uh, but then it becomes really um and this is an additional point to all of this, but it becomes really challenging when you go into the regional and, you know, country-based limitations and uh, what you can do in EU versus what you can do in a specific state in uh, US. 
that 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 is also like a really interesting conversation because we we you know we always learn that there's a new regulation passed in some random state in US that's you know prevents you to do something and then that becomes always like you know that, that this uh, the, the data privacy office that I mentioned before they need to be on top of these things and you know make sure that we comply with global uh, regulations like you know like regional regulations like you know uh, EU based GDPR and uh, all those kind of things um I, I the only risk that I see from an operational point of view in all of this is like when you work with things like you know like let me do an analysis but it's hard to do it so I'll let me put it in a CSV and then while I did that I saved it in my local drive so that I think can be sold by again maybe limiting the access to uh to you know how you can actually save it or like export that data and so on so that is a bit of a technical challenge that uh, people need to think about but other than that uh, i think it's uh, completely manageable thank you so much matthias do you want to give us your thoughts on the question and a bit of context behind why the question was asked uh sure so i asked it because i worked in uh, financial institutions and there it's a very uh very important topic to to be aware of these uh, data privacy issues uh, in every other company as well but uh, you know you get a lot more questions asked when you work in a in a financial institution and i'm really happy to hear that uh, people are a lot more optimistic about this topic than i am i don't necessarily agree that it's as easy as as uh, maybe Noah and Dennis uh, see it. At least we had a lot of trouble in, in practice with it. And they mentioned this least privileges principle that you should only have access to what you what you actually need to do your job. But that's the point with, with data democratization for me is that you want to give people access to as much as, as possible because you never know in advance what they might need. And you don't want to be the, the bottleneck that they always have to come to you to ask, hey, can I access this as well? Oh, and this, oh, and this. So so, so that kind of uh, defeats the purpose of data democratization to some extent. And this is why I, I formulated my question as like, how do you strike the right balance between you being a central authority and, and providing people access, but then being the bottleneck if you're away for a two-week vacation, for example. But you also, you know, you don't want to, to share all the data. And th there are a lot of other challenges, like any freeform input box, we know will have private data, no matter what you do. You can write huge red letters above, don't share private information in this in this box or in this field. I, you can rest assured, once you have more than 100 customers, you will get private data in that field. And, <laughs> and you know, for example, in Sweden, also just your, your address is um, already, you can, you can look up based on the address who lives at that address. And then you can know so so much about that person, and and maybe you want to do analytics on on data and location. And sure, you can pre-aggregate and say, you know, we only give you which city they live in. But what if you know someone has a great idea of like, okay, this is now would be a great campaign, but I want to run it in just a specific part of Stockholm. But you only say, hey, this person lives in Stockholm. So it, I, I think it's it's a it's a very nuanced question, and and I think the the balance depends, of course, on your on your company and your your industry where where you at. Um, but yeah, what what Dennis mentioned also very important and and very tricky. So how do you prevent people from saving the data on their local computer and then 
you know, they, they forget it open in a coffee and someone can look at it. So yeah, I think just a lot of training and making sure data culture is, is correct is also important. So like, like you have these phishing attacks, you know, and some companies do simulations and then track how, who, who clicks on the, the link from the email that the central security team sent out. So maybe some kind of drills like that, or, or you know, making sure that uh, people register when they download some data. Um, I don't really know great tools to, to, to do this currently, or there are some, of course, but I think they could be improved. And this is something that we have to work on in the future as data engineers, making sure that this is uh, easier to deal with. At least that's my view. I I'm happy to see that others find it easier. Maybe I should, uh, pick your brains a bit more, <laughs> maybe I, I'm doing something wrong. Thank you. Uh, I know what you have something to say. Yeah, uh, I just want to add, so I totally agree with you, Matthias, because uh, I am also working in the finance industry and it's very difficult to bifurcate or differentiate between that this is the PII which can't be shared or which is not being shared across because of the data democratization. But one part of the data democratization is that we can think about moving towards an aggregated data, not a data role level data. Which means that, okay, we are democratizing the other domains, other teams, but making them more democratized towards the insights, not just towards the raw data. So that's of the one thing I just want to add, like, uh, it's more about democratizing through insights, not just about the raw data. So then the PI information will not be shared, but it's a very difficult thing to literate and uh, to go to the data literacy. Thing. Perfect. Thanks, Anuj. Noah? Yeah, I, I agree with uh, Anuj as well. It's like you have to aggregate and also like mask the data before you send it and that's 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 our job to do but also like like i i want to mention that none of us is, is a is a legal consultant so we, so every, every company need a need a legal consultant to actually tell tell us how to how like what to do and then we we know how to do with them but, but like i can tell you like hey yes there the address is, is not a bia data area in X country, but then uh, I'm, I'm not a legal guy. I can't say this. And, and also your policies inside and, and also like the, to your users as well, or your customers, you have to have a, like a written policy inside and out. Like your, 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 like your colleagues or, or people that using the data in your company, they need to have like, like NDA and they need to know that there is no, no kind of information that need to be in your, in your laptop and so on. Uh, and yes, maybe they, they can be uh, like uh, they forget or something, but they know that it, this is something that will, will get them into trouble. Brilliant. Thank you. Matthias? Yeah, I just wanted to say that it's a great point that you all, I think Dennis also mentioned, and you know, like data masking, super important. And there are actually uh, good tools for, for data masking, I think, out there. And that makes it a lot easier. And, and yeah, thanks, uh, Anuj, I, I think moving towards more aggregated and actually processed data when you share things, I think is a, is also, also a great idea. So I, I got a lot of good ideas here. So thanks for the, the discussion. I really appreciate it. Over here. And Dennis, um, I only wanted to say that like, maybe it's the other way around and maybe we are missing something. So I think it would be really interesting to hear like some example use cases from both Matthias, you and uh, Anush to hear like, you know, like, is there anything that we need to think about uh, in our work or like in the future that we may, you know, uh, that may come up in the future and we don't have today. So um, very interesting conversation for sure. And 
from the amount of interaction we had on this, uh, it shows that it's not an easy question to answer uh, also. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for today, guys. That was a really, really interesting conversation. And it sounds as though there may even need to be a part two or at least further discussion between you guys on, on, on this matter. But I think we'll leave it there. Thank you so much to today's guest. If you're hiring for a new technical role or if you're looking for a new role yourself, feel free to get in touch with us here at Evolution. Or if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on a future podcast, you can drop us a message too. I am Josh Asquith. That's A-S-Q-U-I-T-H. And you can find me on LinkedIn or you can email me at joshua.asquith at evolution-nordics.com. And thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next one.